Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Lord, we just know that we just live in difficult times. And Father, many times we're ready to jump ourselves right into the rapture. And we pray for your coming, and may it be so quickly. But yet in the meantime, Lord, we just want to give you glory, even in the times that are difficult, in the times that are joyful and gladness and in sorrow. And Lord, we pray that you may be glorified in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm so glad you're here this morning. And you see, we talked about bringing people into the kingdom of God. And I want to give you a phrase. Pastor Nate Ahern writes that the whole point of the Bible is to kill the dragon, get the girl. You got it right. The story of the Bible is kill the dragon and get the girl. This perspective of the story of Scripture stems from Pastor Doug Wilson's teaching of the whole story of the Bible where I quote, We fell into sin as a race, because we were beguiled by a serpent. Adam and Eve, we know the story, right? God promised to send a warrior who would crush the seed of the serpent, and He has done this in Jesus Christ. Amen? In sum, the gospel is the story of a dragon fight. The serpent of Genesis is the dragon that we find in Revelation. And we are called to rejoice that the dragon has been slain. And so this week, we share with the young people about the dragon who is out there seeking to destroy. The Bible calls him also like a roaring lion. And we've been inviting people into the safety of the walls of the kingdom of God. Nate Ahern agrees that this gospel, in a nutshell, is this, is that the dragon, the old serpent, it is hunted down and killed by Christ, who is the knight on a white horse in Revelation. And he saves us from our sins to be his bride. Christ kills the dragon and gets the girl. Christ defeats Satan and saves his people. Christ throws down death and then throws a huge marriage feast. Revelation tells us this. And a great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent whom is called the devil and Satan, the deceivers of the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth. And the angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice, John writes, in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And that's what we've been sharing with the children. And I want to share the same story this morning to you, is that you and I have been given the weapons of a warfare that's going on. You may not be aware of it, but there is a war going on. And Christ is in the business of saving us from our wickedness and our sorrow and crushing serpent heads and bringing us joy. That's the night that you and I have. That's the God who saves. 
And Christ knowing that Satan continues to attack and seek our harm until that day when he is finally put down has given us two instructions. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We read it already. But from that passage, I want to share with you two instructions that God has given us in the dragon slaying business. The first one is that we're to stand strong in the face of battle. We're to stand strong in the face of the battle. That's what he says in Ephesians when he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now as we look at that, that's not something that you and I have within ourselves. There is nothing within me, believe me, that can take up a sword and be ready to fight a mighty dragon. I need to stand in someone else's might, someone else's strength. So he tells us to stand strong. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher in Britain about 40 years ago, observes that there's three dangers when it comes to spiritual warfare. Now, when you hear spiritual warfare today, there are so many ways in which it goes wrong. And there's so many ways in which it goes right. And so what we want to do is we need to understand that there is a battle that is raging that's not with your husband, it's not with your wife, it's not with your brothers and sisters and your family members. It's not even with this world. There's a battle that you and I cannot see. For it says, For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Now that sounds kind of mystic, but let me share with you that's very, very real and very, very true. Now, that doesn't mean that we cast spells and we have magic incantations and we have certain types of spiritual power that flows from our fingertips. Now, that'd be kind of cool, but we don't have that. But here's the thing that he says, three dangers. One is thinking that there is no warfare. See, that's the problem. There are a lot of people who don't believe that there's any type of warfare. They think the problem is the person they're married to or maybe the person that they divorce. They think the problem is the world system or the political system. They think it's the teacher at school or their children or their parents. No, there's a spiritual warfare. And Paul speaks out of a spiritual warfare, not because it's an undecided conflict, but as our struggle, we're to stand firm against a foe that has already been defeated. We have to realize that there's still warfare. The second danger that we do is avoiding the warfare. You know, we're the type of people that says, I just don't want anything to do with it. I'll stay on this side and not engage in the war. But it's kind of interesting. I was reading in a newspaper in, in Russia. You know, they're not sending Russian soldiers to Ukraine to fight. But they are winding up finding out that there's a lot of Russian soldiers who are leaving the army because they're being forced into the conflict. They don't want anything to do with it. Now, I don't blame them. None of us love war, at least I hope we don't. We're not engaged into a battle of arms, but yet we find that we want to avoid conflict. But in this case, we can't avoid this warfare. The Bible tells us that we're to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and that he will flee from us. We can't avoid it. And I want to share with you, there's a danger there. If you're one of those that says, I just don't want to be involved, I'll just let Satan have his reign. It's just too much for us. The third danger that we might face, Martin Lord Jones says, is fighting with the wrong weapons. And I think this is where we find it. 2 Corinthians tells us that our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power, though, to destroy strongholds. For we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, our weapons of warfare are not attorneys. They're not our hands and our fists. They're not our anger. They're not the strength of our personality and our character. It's not a biting or sarcastic tongue. It's not the cold shoulder. It's not someone who gets revenge. But our weapons are something much greater. God has given us these weapons, and we're going to go through them in a minute. So he tells us to be strong in the face of battle. So we need to be strong knowing these things. You need to be strong. Again, it's not something that you and I have within us. It's something that's supernatural that comes from knowing Christ. So being strong is knowing that God has given us the power to do battle. Romans tells us that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For He says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Amen? Is that we need to recognize here is God has given us the power to do battle. We can engage, not of our own, but as in Him. We are able to stand. Now, I don't know where you are today. You may be in the midst of a battle that's supernatural. Maybe it's a problem with your spouse. Maybe it's a struggle with sin. Maybe you're struggling with your thoughts, what you look at, what you're engaged in. And I would bet that there are many times that you feel like you can't take it anymore. Have you ever been to that point? I am struggling so hard just to survive life. There may be many of us that don't know where our next meal will come from. We're living paycheck to paycheck and sometimes even living day by day. And you just feel like you have no other strength to do battle. And knowing that you're going to have to wake up the next morning and face it. And sometimes the enemy seems to be the person that we're sharing the bed with. It could be our own family. But let me tell you, is that God has given us the power to do battle. To fight the things of Satan. Many times we have built him up to be some type of invincible enemy. But he's not. God has given all that we need to fight against him. The second thing we need to know is that the spiritual battle is in the mind. Again, I think that's so important for us to understand. That's why he tells us to be sober-minded. Be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Many of us are walking around through our life, just skipping through life, skipping from one thing to another, never realizing that we're finger food. And we're just wondering, why is it that a little bit of me is lost? Each and every day as we fall from one sin to another, from one failed relationship to another, from one struggle to another. For the spiritual battle, again, is in the mind. And that's why he says it's not so much adultery that's the problem, it's what's happening in your mind and in your heart. If we don't have a strong mind, if we don't recognize that we need to be sober and we need to be watchful, we're already letting Satan into the wall. And so you and I need to realize it's not in courtrooms. It's not in the political realm. 
It's not in the social realm. It's in the mind as we fight against the thoughts and the desires of Satan. And here's why it's important. When we look at Scripture, is we need to be strong knowing that deception is Satan's weapon of choice. He says, you are the father of the devil, he tells them in John, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, he says, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We see this very clearly in Genesis. When he looks at Eve and he tempts her to eat of that fruit, and the whole time he is telling her lies. Did not God say? He causes doubt. And he causes us to doubt God's word. He causes us to doubt God's goodness in which, well, God just doesn't want you to become a better person. He causes us to doubt the holiness and the power of God. And that's why you and I sin. When we struggle in the flesh with sin, whatever it may be, it's Him saying, this here will satisfy you. This here will make you feel better. This here will give you the salve that you need to heal that wound. But let me tell you, anything that comes out of His mouth is lies. He seeks to deceive you. How many times have I had someone in my office who comes and says, well, you know what? I think God just wants me to be happy, so I'm going to leave my spouse. Or God wants me to be happy, so it's okay if I do A, B, C, and D. Do you think anyone today who's on the street or struggling with an addiction ever thought, boy, this is the life that I want? No, it started with deception. It started with entering the mind and allowing it to fester there and allowing it to marinate and to grow and to continue in their mind. So he tells us to stand strong in the face of battle. That's what you and I need to do. And so with that, we need to fight, recognizing that there's warfare, that we can't avoid it, and that we need to make sure that we fight with the right weapons, knowing that God has given us the power to do battle, that it's in the mind and deception is his weapon of choice. In the same way he tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted Christ. He gives them a shortcut. And let me tell you, every time you're struggling with a sin, a sin choice, it's a shortcut. God offers you a promise. Satan offers you a shortcut to get what God has promised. But let me tell you, that fruit is rotten. It may taste good at first bite and as it enters in, but it will not last. It's taste is bitter in the end and destructive. So being strong in the face of battle. The second thing that we see here as I go through quickly is that he commands us and tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And I'm speaking here to those that know Christ and love Christ. He has given us the battle armor that we need to face. He has not left us alone. He says that you need to put on the armor of God. And as we look, we see the belt of truth the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, and the shield of faith. These weapons that God has given us are not mystical in nature and in power, but they are intellectual. 
one of the things that we shared with the children is even though we're giving them replicas and we're making these weapons, they are not real items that you can go and get at your Christian bookstore. If you come to accept Christ, I do not have any extras in the back seat that we say, now here it is. They are invisible armors of the mind that help us understand the truth. And that's what all of these are. These are all weapons that come from knowing God and the truth. So they're not mystical in power, but they're intellectual. They're in our thinking. And that these weapons have the power to demolish Satan's attacks. And that's very important. Everything that you and I need to resist Satan and to flee from him has been given to us. And they have power, real power. Vincent Chung writes that each piece of these weapons represents a set of biblical truths that in their outworkings protects a given area of our Christian walk. The belt of truth, as you see here, is a belt that holds everything together in place. Our strength does not rest on experience or prayer or even on fellowship, even though those things can give us help, but on the truth that's found in God's Word. Just like any Roman soldier anyone, if his belt is not holding everything in place, he winds up being exposed as his pants are around his ankle. Now, I know that's kind of a fashion statement today, but I don't think in a battle that's going to work very well. And so we need that belt of truth that holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness, which is right next to it, refers to the fact that we can never attain true righteousness by our own good works. Now, this may be something that is new to you, but you cannot earn your way to heaven. There is no way to do certain things, and God says, now I approve of you. We cannot attain to our own righteousness. The Bible says that our righteousness are as filthy rags that are worth nothing but to be tossed away. For we have all sinned, he says, but we rely on the righteousness that's given to us by God. So when we have this breastplate of righteousness right here, it's not my own, but it's Christ who takes his off and puts it on me. Amen? And so when Satan comes and he accuses us day and night, we read earlier, they fall flat. For God says, doesn't matter. They're right before me. Then we see the gospel of our shoes, gospel of peace here. We're to have our feet fitted with the gospel of peace. It refers to the fact that the gospel needs to be an integral part of our life. It's our only way to destroy those strongholds that have been built into the minds of those who have not yet accepted Christ. So we need to be ready to share the gospel. Picking up the shield of faith implies obtaining a good knowledge and truth of Scripture and trust of Scripture Knowing when Satan says, hey, try this, this is good, you're able to defend yourself and putting up. Again, it's the imagery of being able to deflect those darts of Satan. The helmet of salvation, important part, it protects the Christian and enables them to hold up their head with confidence and joy. I don't know about you, but there are days when I wake up and I don't feel saved. Anyone else? I don't feel saved. I've gotten up and preached and haven't felt saved. There are times that I'm with my wife and I don't feel saved. We need to recognize that God here is telling us that He can help us in that. 
And the sword of spirit refers to the application and the speaking of the words of Scripture against some biblical ideas and reasons and attitudes. In one side you see Satan's lies. And you may see where he says, there is no truth. Remember the words of Pilate? What is truth? We live in a day in which what is truth? There is no truth but your own truth. The armor of God is the belt of truth. And scriptures we see that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Satan may lie and say, God does not love you. He will not forgive you, but yet it's the breastplate of righteousness. For not accepted on my own righteousness, but that of God. Satan may lie and say, it's not important for you to share your faith. You'll be embarrassed. What if you'll be rejected? But remember, we need to be ready to share the gospel at any time. For our goal and our job is to invite people into the kingdom. I shared with the young people when we spoke about this. We have a drawbridge, you walked over it, and every night they were excited. They wanted to get here early as the trumpet would blow, and we would say, and welcome to the kingdom, and we would lower the drawbridge. And they just could not wait. They couldn't get close enough to it. And then they would just all run in, and they'd just all be excited. But I shared with the young people, and get this, because that is fun. But there will be a day when that drawbridge will be drawn up and will shut and it will be sealed and no one else will ever be allowed in. So our job, our responsibility is to share the gospel today for it's important. He may lie and tell you that doctrine doesn't matter, but that's the importance of the shield of faith. He may lie and say, oh, you aren't saved. How can you know if you're saved? But yet you need to know the gospel, the helmet of salvation, knowing that God has saved us once for all. He may lie and tell you that the Bible is full of half-truths and contradictions, that the Bible is old and not relevant today. However, the sword of the Spirit comes flying out of its scabbard with all of the power and might and says that the Word of God is powerful, two-edged, cutting deep down into the marrow of the bone. It's God's truth is powerful. So if you're here today and you know Christ, He has told you to stand strong in the face of battle. He has shared with you to put on the whole armor of God. For the dragon, though slain, is still there seeking to hurt and to maim any Christian he can. So my question would be for you, is how can you be more aware of the spiritual battle that's going on? Again, just look at your relationships. Look at the sin fights that you have. Those are the battles that are going on in your mind. In what ways are you avoiding it? In which way are you just couching down and allow Satan to have free reign? Maybe not so much in your life, but in the life of someone you love, someone you care about. Many times it's not our own battles, but we see someone we love and care about who is struggling. Either they, they know Christ and they're struggling in their faith, or yet they do not know Christ and we're just avoiding it because we don't want them to get mad at us or we're afraid to hurt their feelings. Let that soak in for just a moment. What battles are you, are you now avoiding? In what ways do you need to protect your mind from Satan? Philippians tells us in 4.8, he gives us the best antivirus there is from preventing things from getting in our mind. Whatsoever is pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there be any praise, 
think on these things? And how can we as a church, how as we as your brothers and sisters of Christ, how can we pray for you? For this battle is raging. We need to understand that we need to be ready. And that's what we shared with the young people. But here is something here that I need also to share for those of you who may not know yet Christ. For this armor here, this protection is only available for those who have accepted Christ. If you do not yet know Christ, you're still in the realm, in the land of the dragon. You are His. You belong to Him. I know it's harsh to say, but the Bible says that you are His children. And we're inviting you into the kingdom. You are left with no protection. You are left with no help and no hope except for that which Christ extends to you by calling you and inviting you into the kingdom. You know what? We cannot reduce the gospel to basic steps, rules, or guides, or sacraments, to personal happiness, to fulfillment, or to the new postmodern phrase of human flourishing. If I hear that one more time in the context of the gospel, I think I'm just going to have it all out. I'll pull out the rest of my hair. Human flourishing is what life has now been broken down to. But let me tell you, God, God has not created us. Christ has not died just so that we can flourish as humans and just enjoy life in the pursuit of happiness. Christ has defeated the dragon so that he may get the girl. I want to be God. And let me share with you, I want to invite you into the kingdom. Because without the kingdom, you're without any hope. For you do not have the weapons to fight the dragon. You do not have the strength to fight the dragon. The Bible tells us that as appointed unto man once to die, then after this, the judgment. Those are strong words, but let me share with you, one day we will all stand before Him. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow down and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? He is. But you and I, it's what we do on this side of heaven that counts just as much what counts on the other side. And I would implore with you, would you today join us in the kingdom? We need the gospel. These are all come from the gospel. You may ask, well, what's the gospel? Let me share with you why I want to invite you into the kingdom. The gospel is that God is holy and worthy of all glory, honor, praise, and worship. God in His wisdom and goodness has created all that there is. Everything that we see and everything we cannot see. Everything stands and holds it together because of God. Gravity is because God holds it together. You and I were created that we may see Him and glorify Him. That He may be the object of admiration in our eyes. Every heartbeat, every function of our organ is a daily gift from Him to us. The only thing that keeps us from eternity is a snap of His finger. God is a holy and worthy of all glory, honor, praise, and worship. However, as you know in Genesis, as the snake slithered himself into the garden, man rebelled against God and His holiness. 
and they declared that He is not worthy of all glory and honor, praise and worship. For we see in Romans that instead of that, we turn and worship things that are of much less value, including ourselves. And because of that, we have fallen into sin. For the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he tells us that there is none that seek after God. No, not one. There's none that understand. Even though we think we do, we do not. And so we have done all these things and created and invented all these ways to make ourselves right with a holy and worthy God. And they have fallen short, as he says, for all have come short. Every religion, every attempt, for man to make himself right before God fails. And he says the wages of the penalty of that rebellion, of that sin, is death. So it is appointed unto us to die and to stand before a holy God. And he says, do you find me worthy? Our lives will testify against us. For he is a God who not only sees our actions, but is also discerns our thoughts and our hearts. And He is a God who says that He will pour out His wrath on all those that have rejected Him. As with this story were to stop there, the dragon has won. But yet God, in His wisdom, and His love for His people in Genesis 3.15, promised an anointed one. He appointed a hero, if you will, a white knight who will come and slay that dragon by crushing his head and making things right with us. And so God says, you must be perfect as the Father is perfect to get into heaven. And each and every one of us fall miserably. But yet, again, God in His love sent Jesus to provide what God required. He says, you must be perfect. We weren't. But as we shared with the young people, He sent one who is. He sent God, Jesus Himself, down to be born, the incarnation. He was perfect. He was holy. He obeyed His parents in each and every way. He, he fulfilled each and every one of the laws. His mind was perfect, his heart was perfect, his obedience was perfect. One who never sinned, and one who stood against a dragon just as Adam and Eve did, just as all mankind has done, and he stood tall and strong, and he denied each and every one of the lies of Satan and set the dragon running from him. And for that, the dragon reached out through Pilate and Herod, doing the work of God, and tried to kill that hero. And on that dark day, he succeeded as Jesus was put on a cross and murdered, the greatest sin ever done on earth. But yet the grave could not hold him, could it? Death had no grip on him. For Jesus on that Sunday, third day, rose and victorious, and in that way the dragon knew that his days were numbered. And with that, that dragon was slain with a mortal wound, waiting for the day when he'll be thrown into hell with all of his minions and others. And in it, Jesus was perfect in obedience, and in it, his righteousness was then given to us. But in the same way, 
God took our sin. He took our rebellion. He took our evil thoughts. All those things about us that if you thought I knew you would just cringe if anyone else found out. He took those and he put them on Christ. God poured out his wrath. The wages of sin is death. And he poured it out on his son to the fact that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he bore the sins of us. In the same way as I said, he then gave us his righteousness. The end of the gospel is very simple. For he said, it is finished. Amen? It is done. No other work needs to be done. You don't have to go to church to be saved. You don't have to give money to be saved. You don't have to take a sacrament to be saved. You just have to accept the works of Jesus Christ, which leads us to the last part of the gospel. And that's our response. For you and I are to respond is to repent of our dead works, recognizing that there's no way that you and I could ever do good to make it up to God. We can never make ourselves right before God. So to repent of those dead works and say, that's it, I'm done with them. I recognize that they're filthy rags and you turn and you put your trust in Christ and like the prodigal son, you just run to one who embraces you and loves you for eternity. And his love has no mixture of wrath with it. No, uh, no bitterness, no anger, no disappointment, just love as his tears flow over us. And he brings us to himself. And then he adopts us into his family and gives us as his bride as he kills the dragon and he gets the girl. So I'm here this morning. If you have not yet done that, would you do so today? I invite you into the kingdom of God. Do you want the weapons to stand against the dragon? Then you must come to him knowing that he is all in all. Are you ready to worship the one who is holy and more beautiful than all things, believing in the works of Christ. So Christian, if you're here today and you have the armor, but you're not using it, be strong and put on that armor and stand firm. For those of you who have not yet gotten there, would you begin now? Maybe he's knocking and he's saying, come. He's saying, come. There's no prayer or simple thing that you need to do. You just need to say, I come. I accept what Jesus did on my behalf. God, forgive me of my sins. Embrace me, adopt me as your own. And he says, today, today is the day of salvation. And today you would be with me. Amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I would ask you to take a moment to pause and to consider what God's word has said this morning. I pray that you would now pause, consider, and that you would pray to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, how do you want me to respond this morning? If you're not a Christian, would you just come in this morning and just say, accept me, accept me as I am, just as I am without one plea? This is the old Baptist hymn. Would you accept him this morning? If you'd like more information, would you see me? If you need it in, in Spanish, would you speak to our brother Refugio and and we have some others that are bilingual that can speak, come to me and we'll get together and we'll share with you how you too can enter in the kingdom of God. If you've done it, then welcome. 
If you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you've not engaged in the battle, if your armor seems to be sitting there being soiled and rusted, would you pull it out? Would you put it on and recognize that we must engage until that day that He comes and take us home? Would you pause, consider, pray, and respond to the Holy Spirit's call this morning? Father, You are a good God. And your wisdom is above all things. So much more than we could ever understand. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for the gifts of not only of the armor of God, but also the gospel which saves us from our sin. And Father, I pray that you would respond and your Holy Spirit would start to work in those this morning. Bring those into the kingdom. And may we rejoice with the angels singing and being glad for those that you've appointed unto salvation. And then I pray that you would challenge the Christians here this morning to pick up the armor, to begin the fight, to strengthen themselves for battle, to ask for help, Lord, to glorify you. We pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.